This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, Episode 54, Diabolic. This is Strange Assembly, a podcast about card games, board games, and role-playing games with a focus on the Legend of the Five Rings universe. You can download additional episodes of this podcast via iTunes or on our website, www.strangeassembly.com. While you're there, you can check out our main page or stop in and say hi on the forums. You can also follow those main page updates on Facebook or Twitter. Any comments or criticisms can be directed to Chris at strangeassembly.com. Enjoy the show. As you've now been told multiple times by our various introductory things, you are listening to Strange Assembly, and I am Chris Stevenson. Here with me today are, as usual, Jay Earl. I'm Batman. And Mike Cook. What's up? And today you'll hear about a little look back at the Emperor Edition environment, a more look at things that are going on in L5R with the new RPG releases, with The Shadows Embrace, uh, and with Embers at War. And then after that, you can... Listen to us talk about Couriers and Thunderstone and D&D Next and a variety of other things that aren't L5R. And if you actually listen to the fourth segment, unlike me who did not, uh, you can hear Mike and Yet. Jay talk about Diablo for I don't even know how long. Yet. The Emperor Edition environment is now finished. We have whatever the available information is on all of the Kote. So before we move on to current and future L5R in this episode, I thought we'd first stop and look at where we've been with the Emperor Edition environment. And this does include the last few screwy weeks in there where you've added Den of Iniquity in. As I've noted, my, my data would greatly appreciate it if they'd go back to the system where promos just never became legal until another expansion came out, because there just isn't a good way to deal with it. Clearly, Den of Iniquity changes things about the environment, and you can't restart the data every time Barfight becomes legal, and then Den of Iniquity becomes legal, and then... Embers becomes, you know, Embers becomes legal. Okay, that you can do it for, but then a month after that, the Kote pack becomes legal. I mean, that you start over again for that, it's just not workable. So, uh, I would say that the most successful 
plan during the Emperor environment was crab. They had nine tournament wins and a 27.5% rate of making the cut. The average uh, on a per clan basis was 20.5%. So that's what we're looking at. They had a great deck in Scout. They had a good deck in Berserkers. They had a decent deck in the Siege. And now... With Den out... Palaces becomes pretty strong too. Yeah, so. yeah, and right at the end, you 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 pick that up too. Although they they actually trailed off in attendance, and their rate of making the cut as the the Cote season was finishing out. So at least for that limited period of time, I don't think that they got anywhere by switching to Yusuke Palaces, or else just Den hurt them enough, uh, and they. Seemed reasonably likely to continue on in, in numbers, but the the second most successful clan, uh, I would say, was Lion. Although everyone out there is going like, why isn't he saying Dragon? Because early in the season, Dragon and Lion, sorry, Dragon and Crab, racked up a lot of wins. And those two actually did end up with the most wins. Uh, Dragon 10, Crab 9, but well... Everyone was kind of not paying attention. Lion popped up eight while also putting 25% of Lion players into the cut, uh, which is not not a small <laughs> amount. And almost single-handedly taking over District 1, I th- if I remember correctly. Yeah, they have a, a, a They've good chunk. They've got like chunk. half of it right now. Yeah, there's a good chunk up in District 1, including there was the weirdness where the Santiago Cote... T.O. didn't submit the results for like three weeks. <laughs> and then, or at least they didn't show up on the map for something like three weeks. And so by the time they showed up, the lion had grabbed the territory that that winner had wanted to take. I mean, he ended up with something else in, in District 1. He ended up in D110 instead of D18 or something like that. But but yeah, the, well, the lion, yeah, the lion ended up in D110 probably because somebody put one up there and then, you know, the, the people wanted to clump around out. it. Because five filled up lickety splits, so by the time the lion really started picking up on their wins, five was mostly wrapped up. I think they've got they've got a couple sitting around in four district four as well. So yeah, I mean right now you've got third or half or something of district one left, large swaths of district two left, a couple in district four and a couple in district three, which is just the little five. Five district coastal. Yeah, three was tiny to begin with. Same thing, yeah. But that's I think so far that has a mantis, a crab, and a dragon. So far out of that, because in district three, I, I do remember the mantis got combo broken by a crab. Yeah, the mantis have another couple of coastal provinces, but I think that those were further west. Was, one was yeah. the one district five that was on the coast, and then there's one of the district fours that's on the coast that they have, and then. I don't know. And then they, they took the one that contained the airy. Well, <laughs> b- half of the airy. Like, the airy is on the river, and it splits the two districts. From what, what yeah, I was I'd have to look at that again. I, I remember thinking that at some point, and then I remembered looking at it again and thinking, oh, no, that's actually... That, like, D3-3 is on both sides of that. I'm not... No, no, one was on one side, one was D3. on the other, because the crane got the other one. Oh, you actually... Okay. So, yeah, lion... That's actually 
primarily ended up being Ancestor Honor, which I know is a deck that I was not sure if it was consistent enough, and oops, yes, that's very much consistent. <laughs> it was sort of like, well, this would be really good if it's consistent enough, but I don't know about that. Oh, wait, look, it's just really good. <laughs> uh, and then with some Paragons and or Tactagons in there as well, obviously not anything rolling out of that deck on Scouts or pure Tacticians either. Uh, it's just enough Tacticians to activate the card draw. I don't know, you, you mentioned Crane Mike, which is one of the more interesting ones, because Crane spent most of Cote season with the worst rate of making the cut and without any wins, and they ended up only second worst in making the cut, and, and then basically two percentage points ahead of the Spider. But at the same time that they were improving the make-the-cut rate, their attendance started cratering because throughout this whole thing the spider had had terrible attendance and the crane had actually maintained decent attendance despite the performance despite doing badly and then at the end and this was yeah sort of i one of the reasons for the improved crane success was because there were a a group of good players who made a concerted effort to play crane sort of to to you know demonstrate to the crane player base that their clan was really not all that bad Right, so if those players are listening, Phoenix is really, really bad right now. Can you go pre- <laughs> prove me wrong, please? They've already done that. And uh, But then there was this attendance drop, which I didn't really think about, the, but your theory, Mike, was that... I think Den of Iniquity had a lot to do with that, because Crane is so much honor, and the scout deck, especially pre-Embers, just really wasn't there. It's, it's top eight to top two, a number of Kotex. But it just seemed to have always, you know, obviously it didn't go the distance. So Honor's always really been the main thing that we had as, you know, one of our hopes. But the Fast Honor decks killed. Uh, like, our, our Fast Honor decks typically were not as fast as the other Fast Honor decks. Um, the only one I saw that was as fast was the adaptation of uh, James's the one, Atlanta. And then our mid-range was not as fast and had a trouble beating the other honor decks like T.O.P. It just had a really hard time fighting them down. Because if they don't make you lose honor, then you can't activate Rigashi, and now you've got guys who've got like two or three fours trying to take a province. And typically not too much for fours. But I guess that's kind of how they've ended up so fairly successful, is that Den of Iniquity pretty much killed all those fast honor decks, or brought them back down so that now mid-range honor seems to be doing better, especially specifically magistrates since they're, um, they're still, you're still high enough honor that you're going first most of the time and they've got a good number of battle actions, proactive battle actions. But I, I still think that the consensus was, uh, you know, when Den of Iniquity hits, that's really going to hurt uh, a lot of our decks. Yeah. Or it may just be fatigue from trying for all Cote season to get something through and not having anything get through. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, it was. I thought it was definitely interesting. I, I, I before this, I had to go back and look and double check because I actually hadn't noticed this over the last several weeks. This happened is at the same time I noticed that the cranes' win rate was going up, but I hadn't noticed that their attendance was just plummeting to where they ended up with uh, overall the the as far as I can tell the worst attendance. I mean, not by a lot, but. Right. But they and the the spider were the ones who ended up with the the bad attendance, and then although only scorpion and lion and crab like had strong attendance because 
Crab's attendance, especially through that, was it's kind of sucking all the air out of a uh, a lot of the capacity. Uh, I mean, Dragon uh, Next Dragon did have a very strong performance. They had the most wins overall, and it also not that it says anything to the strength of the deck really, decks really, but they didn't have any of those wins prior to Cote season. So all the wins came when people were paying more attention and came in a situation where all the Dragon players got to get all excited about seeing the Clan Mon go up all over the map. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, well, and we we saw any number of like four and threes go up, but nobody coming. I, I mean, I'm guessing if if I had to guess, I would guess that the people who have been successful just kept playing that same decks, but people overall. And we also uh, are we back think, to the crane? Yeah, sorry. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, I also think that you can't discount bandwagoning as far as numbers for attendance. And Crab, obviously, with so many successful decks and very obviously successful decks. Yeah, it well, the the Crab numbers, which peaked at something over 15% of the field playing Crab at one point in there, I think you have to go back to the end of Lotus to find a situation where there were that many people playing one clan and that's when you had the ridiculous broken coal wall and then warrens of the one tribe decks i don't know what those numbers actually were because that was before i kept track of numbers but certainly you have to go back at least that far you can go back to other times where there were other clans that had much more you know more broken or much stronger relative to the rest of the field decks than crab have had for this arc where you just did not see that same kind of boost there is there's definitely flexibility in l5r numbers about where, where there there there's some bandwagoning and some people going over but that flexibility is often very constrained i mean this is not something like magic where it does not matter what deck list you put up, it does not matter how good something is, there are only a certain number of players who are going to jump with that. There are a, a solid chunk of players. I mean, you can say, for all the fact that... I mean, what? So there are nine clans, so about about 11% is your, going to be your average attendance for a clan, 11% of the field. For all that we've spent the last you know five months or whatever with the the strong consensus opinion being that Spider and Crane are terrible, you still had, you know, each of those clans only lost like 2.5% off of that that overall 11. So that's maybe 20% of the, the base amount. And that's for Spider even assuming that the base amount is, is up at 11%, which I'm not really sure that, that it is. There is... I think there's a lot more willingness to switch decks within clan yeah but there's just not the same kind of broad the broad bandwagoning in l5r like you might see in in magic right no i mean and i'm not saying that it i just think that that will make like attendance numbers fluctuate a little bit oh no yes i think there you've got two things going on there because you've got clan loyalty where you know me personally i won't play anything but crane at a tournament typically just because if i want if i do win on the outside chance i ever win like a cote or whatever i want it to be with crane otherwise it's not gonna be as satisfying and the other thing is just that challenge of you know what nobody's won with this clan if i actually make it stick with this clan you know then there's a lot more pride 
Maybe you that's kept, just me. You, you kept you kept hoping that all the other crane players would stop showing up so you could get top yes, of the Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It never worked. Not once. Those jerks. Yes. Those crane players who kept on playing their clan. You guys are supposed to be demoralized. Stop showing up. I want my full bleed. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, the full bleeds are funny. You know, like just today, I traded for some more of the premium cards, which I theoretically would only serve to send in for full bleeds, which would immediately take up permanent residence in my binder because I'm never actually going to play with a bunch of cards that are supposed to have 15 lines of text on them and don't have any. The, the rings so are okay. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'll great the... for backing your stronghold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I play with them. I just don't have because I haven't sent off. I guess before we went back to Crane. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, but but so, I mean, that, just yeah. I mean, that's not just Crane. That's everybody in general. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, with some kind of banners. Uh, but Dragon, unsurprisingly, most of those wins were, I think, seven out of the ten were Kensei. The other three were Kitsuki-based. I think two out of Wed and one out of Dragon's Breath Castle. So, yeah, we will see. Well, Wed got really our, the one of the strange assembly previews from the Shadows Embrace. Wartime preparations. I don't know how much that does against any other deck, but Wed, it actually does kind of I don't think it matters because I don't think that that event will ultimately end up getting play. But that to me is one of those events that will see play from certain people who are like, "Oh my god, I can't have my people bowed." I who I'm, are not the top tournament players. So after about round three or four, you won't really have to worry about them. But um, I don't know. I mean, th there's still some military control, so it's not just honor because uh, it's. Anytime past the first time my person gets bowed. Or anytime past the first time where my guy can't. Yeah, but how many... Right, but, uh, because it's a negation ahead of time instead of a react, like, no, no fear, most decks aren't doing enough that they can't just be like, okay, I'll save this one for next turn. Well, right, but think yeah, about all it, that will be lost. Yeah, if your opponent flips all that will be lost, now their Bayushi Waru is reduced to a battle ability. I'm not saying it's great. It's, yeah, it's not that there are. It's not that it doesn't do anything, but it's not. It, it's only as scary as you are scared of multiple of your guys getting whammied in the the same turn yet, yeah, which is mostly when it's like, oh, I've got my Watchful Eye Dojo deck with the bow on the box with my Governor's Courts with oh, this I mean, is for, not going to work for a small local environment where you're always playing the same guy and he always plays that deck and you're sick of him, I can totally see slotting <laughs> yeah. him in. But no, for a Kote or, or Gen Con or a big tournament, yeah, it doesn't just doesn't make the cut, really. Yeah. Dragon Monks, I, I don't know if somebody must have somewhere, but I don't even know of a Dragon Monk deck making the cut. Someone play Dragon Monks? <laughs> well, I don't know if I... Uh, yes, Was there a yes. theme deck competition? No, no, yes, there are. I have more of people who have played it, but... uh, And then the Tamori, I... I, I saw one guy make the cut with a deck that actually had spells in it, although it was half Tamori. But uh, other than that, I've seen Kazuhige in deck, but not actual spells beyond that. The next, next most successful clan, win-wise... And tied in there percentage-wise is Mantis. Or heck, like, we've got Mantis and Scorpion. Both had, actually have exactly... No, I'm misreading my chart. 
Mantis for the next week. They had six Kote. They had six wins. Not all Kote, but uh, not all include- coastal. Well, well, no, but well, so, I mean, some of their wins were in the at least one right. of their wins was before was one of the storyline tournaments that were Emperor Edition, but before Kote, and then uh, just under twenty two percent of their of their things made the cut. Now, I think half of their wins maybe were Case. I, I would guess over half, uh, but yeah. Yeah, well, it may have been three case in in Ornithov or two case in an Ornithov. I mean, it was a. I think I think maybe it was two case in an. Uh, wait, you can people can look up that list on the the charts. But and I think they're unsurprisingly all Kalani's landing because that stronghold is filthy. They have another stronghold now. Wow, <laughs> who knew? Yeah, with uh, and that and that has also produced a lot of variety. Out of it, more straight magistrate things, swarmy blitzy things. I'm sure now that Embers is out, we'll see someone trying to buy Shadow Dragons on turn two because you can. <laughs> Turns out Shadow Dragons filthy. Yeah, you well, can. So why wouldn't you? Yeah, when it is, and and Mantis has actually, and their their attendance has actually not been shabby either. Both, the, or maybe it's just because they look better in, in comparison to the Crane and Spider looking bad, but. You know, often you know Unicorn and Mantis are down there in attendance-wise, and both of them were not great, but they were definitely higher than Spider and Crane. Which were. is unusual because so. Unicorns usually, I thought the or yeah, I guess those two are both kind of really low attendance. Traditionally, the three factions of the currently existing ones, and I'm going to use that a little loosely, I guess, is with regards to Spider. The the three factions that have been less popular overall are Unicorn, Mantis, and Shadow. Uh, they consistently have lower attendance. I mean, they may be boosted up, obviously, if Kowal comes right. out or Aramasu's uh, pride uh, rating craziness uh, you know, affects that. Yes, yeah, or when Chagatai was stomping all over the place, but when they're sort of at a normal sort of point, those those tend to be lower, and that probably one of the reasons why Shadowlands became Spider was, I'm guessing, because Brand wanted... Something to... Yeah, to try to do something to make people more interested in in Shadowlands, because I I think at this point I don't... I I don't think that it would be really feasible for them to actually cull factions again. I think the, the insanity blowback you'd get on that would be bad it, I mean, it would just be too great even if in a vacuum you might be like let's we should probably have fewer factions than nine in this game so so that's why i say with spider i don't know if spider have kind of had artificially high prior to emperor edition they had artificially high numbers because of the mega game and because breeder was such a good deck and easy to play and so we'll just have to to see where spider ends up so yeah, the the next couple of clans, Scorpion and Unicorn each had five wins. Phoenix had three. They all had above average rates of making the cut. You'll see almost everyone had above average rates of making the cut because I'm sorry, Unicorn didn't. But but there, there's a lot of clans that have above average making the rates of make cut because Spider and Crane were so, so low bad, yeah. that there's a lot of them that are a little bit above the average. Phoenix they had success with Temple of Purity, they had success with Library of Rebirth, so I think that 
they didn't rack up a bunch of wins, but they seemed to be in a seemed it to be in a pretty decent position in in the environment. Donnie had that uh vexing enlightenment deck. He just completely steamrolled me at the South Carolina Cote. I wanna see this thing in action. Or at least I wanna I wanna did the deck list up. I don't know if he's posted it up or, or not. I just, I, I'm curious because I'm kind of interested in... Well, yeah, you, you may be at a slight disadvantage because he can import Crane and Sincerity and Courtesy of the Crane, sorry, into his Phoenix deck. Right. But you can't <laughs> import uh, the other direction. So, yeah, Unicorns had success with Battle Maidens, had some success with Tacticians. They also, more of their success came in the latter portion, although... I think before Den kicked in, I don't, it wasn't a Den-fueled change. It was just they didn't really pick anything much up for the first half, and then they did in the second half. Scorpion, I'm not... When were their last couple of... Did they pick up one with a Dishonor, or have they been mostly... They also took a while to pick up, too. There's a, there's a good amount of things taking a while to pick up, because, like I said, yeah, we had that crab and dragon going off on a big rush at, at the beginning. And then there's Spider, which won one pre-Cote tournament, and most people forget about that. I've had, because the numbers includes the storyline, people are always coming around like, wait a minute, when did Spider win a Cote? It's like, well, no, you got to go back to the first one. It includes, there are things prior to... Uh, there's Unicorns that same way as well, for a long time. Yeah, well, they, they picked up a their first win much earlier. I think South Africa was the first Unicorn win. But... I don't know. So within the, I mean, if you look at the numbers on the site, you've already seen this, but yeah, Crab and Crane and Spider were statistically significant outside the norm at their ability to make the the cuts. The environment as a whole, we can, I, I don't know. It, it's much harder to say what it's, what is meaningful. Let's, I mean, I won't use the word significant because it's a, technical term in this context but what is meaningful as far as balance goes you can say well to a statistically significant degree the environment was not balanced on the other hand it's not like any of us actually expect anyone to be able to produce an environment where nine different factions are all making the cut at exactly the same rate i mean or even if you did that just sounds like it would have to be incredibly boring somehow like everybody was just par- it was just right. complete parody. Yeah, I I, th- I would say overall, th- there's a lot of decks. Th- there was definitely like a few tier one decks, and those were the decks that did very very well and kept coming up. But there was a lot that were like right under that, like maybe one point five or whatever. And there were a lot of those decks that seemed like to, uh, that that did pretty well. I think the balance overall is pretty. I mean, seven uh, seven out of nine is not too bad. Yeah, what I think, I mean, if you look at, if we take the relatively tight standard of Cote winning as mark of a successful deck, then Crab had, and and all, and then, do it, but then, like, kind of blend some decks together. I mean, Crab had three different decks, Crane had one, Dragon had two, Lion had two, Mantis had... <sighs> I really one to four, depending I, well, on how you want yeah, to count I, it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to... 
I I'm mostly dividing them up when I say winner, mo mostly by stronghold, although I guess for Dragon I'm lumping Katsuki out of DBC in the same pile as... But, so let's say, I guess we'll just say one for Mantis. Various things out of Colony. I think that's really at least two, I guess. Yeah, Ma Mantis is at least two, even though it's out of the same stronghold. Phoenix had at least two. Like I said, I've I seem to have completely forgotten what's actually one for Scorpion, whether or not that was... It was I actually disordered. Is it actually Dishonor now? Because with Dan, I'm... I thought it was all Shiro Chuga. Was it? Or there's yeah. like one Dishonor and everything else for sure. Yeah, but they've had... So they've had at least one, maybe two for Scorpion. Spider, because they haven't won a Kote then, has, you know, by that definition, wouldn't have any. Uh, Unicorn has a couple tacticians, you know, stuff out of Kanza State and Battlemate. So every clan but Spider has won a Kote. A lot of them had multiple different decks. There were some other things in there that were able to put up decent numbers at some Kote, where, which is probably not a lot of comfort if you're trying for wins, but at least signifies that, oh, this theme isn't all that far off the thing. Yeah, like, I mean, Yasuki Palace is okay. That didn't pull up any wins, but we all can look at the Yasuki and say, okay, yeah, this is a theme that seems like it within striking distance. It's not something that's going to need a bunch of broken cards dropped in the next set or a bunch of good cards over the next year to actually get into, have a, ch a chance of being competitive and a chance of winning. So I, I think it's been good in, in that regard. The sort of thing that mixes in with that is that, it, and partially this is more, you know, when we get into the more sets, is it does sometimes start to feel like, especially with the way the arc started out with Forgotten Legacy, you know, how much of it is a balance of which aspect of your themes is it that got the broken card uh, and then play those decks? <laughs> well, and I think you have to look at the number of themes that are just like a, a few cards off of being competitive. Not broken cards, just decent cards like you're talking about. And then you have to think about the delay that was EE. So Embers of War would have been Kote legal, if I'm not mistaken, for all the Kote. So I think that might have paired it out a yeah, little bit. Yeah, the, the intention was that that basically only the, the winter court tournaments would have been emperor legal and then the embers of the kote season would have kicked off with embers of war and then in may shadows embrace would have come out and then that would have been the the environment for the end of kote season and then and then through through the summer i think and then with the new set would hit set after that would probably hit in september and then be legal for world champs in europe in October. So, okay, so do we have any parting thoughts on the Emperor Edition environment? I don't think we're going to talk about it again. Okay. Bye-bye, yeah. <laughs> EE. Let's talk about what's going on now in L5R. Winter Court 3 has been announced. So anybody who is interested in having your life consumed by a play-by-post-forum RPG in hopes that what you do there becomes canon, you can check out the AEG forums for information on that. I was in Winter Court 2, and it did, in fact, suck away like three months of my life. I'm not sure I can even try to apply it again. I don't know if I can handle 
that. But if you can, it was pretty cool. And I think they're going to try to slow down the pace. It's going to be two days of real time is of real time is one day in the story instead of one for one. So I don't know. Has either have either of you guys ever played in a play by uh, forum RPG? No, I, I I keep starting but then losing interest. The Winter Court was the only one that I'd done, and I know after I when I did it was in the second one, and I know after I finished that, I was like, I can never ever do this again. And then they announced the third one, and I was like, hmm, <laughs> interesting. I'd, yeah, well, and I think everybody, kind of the, the brass ring that everybody's hoping for is what they did after the first Winter Court, when there was a 10, 15, I don't remember how long, page PDF that eventually got produced, kind of summarizing and canonizing a lot of the stuff that went on at Winter Court 1, whereas, except for a few things that appeared in fictions, most of what happened at Winter Court 2, you know, didn't really happen as far as the story goes. I mean, and, and to be fair, most of what happens at any of these is not canon. It was just some of the broad strokes that ended up becoming right. I mean, it's canon. Like less than ten percent of what actually transpired in Winter Court One have yeah, became yeah. canon. A, a lot just... of it was it was the ultimate like what were the formal agreements that were reached between the clans. It also it also felt like they had much more concrete goals. In Winter Court 1, I didn't yes. do it, but when you look at the write-up, it seemed like there were very specific numbers of r- amounts of rice and such being moved around in treaties, and we didn't have any kind of mechanical, mechanically precise things like that in, in Winter Court 2. So, yes, I played Shimmer a bat. Well, so what, just because he didn't punch anybody? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I got assigned Shimmer, and I... And it's sort of like, well, if I play this character ac- character accurately, then I'm going to disgrace myself and get sent home in two days. Because you see the scenes when the guy the guy shows up in fiction, like his his clan champion calls him in, and he's like, "What? Why did you call me here? I'm busy. Why are you wasting my time?" And then, dude, and- dude, I know you're Tagashi, <laughs> but I got better things to do. Come on, I'm on the clock. Well, no, this was K, not, oh, yeah, not yeah. Satsu. But but yeah, she just kind of has to look at him and be like, okay, well, I'm going to let you think about that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe you want to rephrase that. I, which is not going to happen if you're at Winter Court with the Emerald Kadool. Champion and the Imperial. It's, uh, it's not going to go well. <laughs> so, you know, th- so there's that. Uh... There are also two new RPG books that came out, Book of Air, which my review of just went up on our website, and then the Strongholds, uh, which is the first PDF release for the Legend of the Five Rings RPG. So you can find Book of Air in stores, but you have to go to, to drive through RPG for uh, the Strongholds. I just have the PDF but you can also print on demand it either as a, I don't know exactly how the options break down, but I think maybe as a black and white soft cover or as a full color hardcover. And I haven't seen the full color hardcovers, but people say that they're almost as good as the real books. Not not quite, but Mike's shaking his head. Yes, no, did you get one or um, or have you got say, another? Okay, I don't know. That, oh, I, okay. I saw that that came out and I was like, well, that is incredibly random. Didn't the Book of Air just come out? And then I was like, oh, okay, PDF only. Well. Yeah, I think that's been sitting in the queue for like 
two years now? Strongholds was originally slated to come out before the fourth edition core book and be the first and be compatible with like I think maybe third and fourth, but be the first thing that actually was fourth compatible because it was all supposed to have it was also supposed to have the Shinjo Bushi in it because in the core book the Moto was going to be the one straight up Bushi class. Well, I guess not the one, but like the the sort of fourth extra school after the main Bushi and the Courtier and the Shugenja is the Battle Maidens. So the Shinjo Bushi was just not going to be is not in the core book, and so it was supposed to have been released before the core book was. I mean, so it's it's out there, but but I think Strongholds got hung up because originally. I think it's it's not. I think it's nine chapters. I'm I'm halfway through it, so but I think it's nine chapters, and a, a, each chapter is about a city. And I think what originally hung it up was that there were supposed to be maps of everything, and there was some issue with the maps, like they couldn't get somebody to do them, or they got somebody to do them, but they were terrible, or maybe not terrible, but just like not of a quality they were willing to print. So yeah, it got hung up, and then. At that point, it was not going to become a real book, but they still had the work, but it always kept getting pushed back in the queue. They're kind of aiming at their schedule that they're shooting for, it seems like, is one book a quarter. And so working on Strongholds always came after working on Enemies of the Empire or Great Clans or, or Emerald Empire or, or, or whatever. Well, PDF only release makes sense. It just, I never saw it on the docket, so. And, and that has been commented on. It is... If you just check the L5R main page, you don't get a lot in the way of updates on the RPG. There's Sean Carmen has a who's now I think completely in charge of the RPG because he's I think he's now taken over the production aspects of it too that that Todd Rowland used to still be doing, and he has a blog called. Naked Steel, I think on RPG.net, and that's kind of the place to go to get the information or the related thread on the AEG forums. So that's got all sorts of sneak peeks and upcoming discussion about what's going to be happening. And Book of Air and Strongholds, when they came out, they were announced. But again, part of that is like Strongholds was sort of a there was no scheduled time for it. It was, it came out as soon as it got done. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, so, and, and that's out. And I guess there are, there are a few problems with the PDF and uh, that I don't think are actually EG's fault, but, uh, <laughs> mechanical problems. There's also a couple of sections where there's a, I think a paragraph that appears twice in a row or something like that, that are EG's fault. You know, someone there, uh, but I think you can still go ahead and get it now, and once they've sort of identified what all the goofs are, they're gonna they're gonna it. yeah they're gonna uh, not errata it, but change the PDF, and anybody everybody who already bought it will be able to download another copy of the PDF with the corrections in. I mean, the screw up in the PDF file is on page 173, and the last page with actual content in it is like 170. But if you're just scrolling all the way to down to the PD, the bottom of the PDF have an error message waiting for you. Surprise! So yeah, it's like, last content, blank page, blank page, ah! <laughs> I do not work anymore. I, very, very odd. How dare you look past the end of the map? Yeah. Here to there be monsters. So, well, yeah, and that's another thing, I, I, I'm i in one of the chapters and it actually makes it, it actually still does make a reference in the text to see the map for whatever. 
Which is interesting too, because I don't, I don't think for any of those I've really missed the maps. They're, it's called strongholds, but they're not castles or fortresses. They're, they're cities, and city maps are usually hard to have matter. There's just, it's only like, okay, well we're done with here. Where do we need to go? Yeah, it's like okay, you have maybe some map that's not really a map so much. It is just a, a vague picture of the city, or it's. It's just got like five districts outlined so you can vaguely see. It's not like a dungeon map where you've got, okay, this room is this, and then this store is that, and then the pet store is next to that. And Yeah, no, no, it's three blocks to the origami store and then hang left. That's not the sort of information you need in an RPG. Right, you don't, need, you don't usually need to know how many rounds it takes to get between the pet shop and the origami yeah. shop. <laughs> you can just make that up when, yeah. it, when it comes up. What pets are the Rokuganai keeping? Well, uh, oh, okay, fair enough. Crickets? Monkeys? Uh, no, no, they just give those alcohol. <laughs> uh, and have them take a province. They have dogs. But, anyhow. the uh, <laughs> I haven't finished Strongholds. I look like Book of Air, although it's definitely a a narrower product than the last. Like, if you're somebody who always buys the books, it's, it's certainly worth getting. But if you're sitting there like, well, I'm just starting the L5R RPG. What should I get? Basically get everything that already came out before you get Book of Air, because it started to get into much more narrow and, and esoteric stuff, whereas Emerald Empire and Great Clans especially are just very broad, very helpful, kind of yeah. must-have books no, absolutely. if well, you're going to play the RPG. Like, I feel like definitely not just narrow, really niche. Like, how does everybody duel? Like or like the dojos for everybody's style. It, that was that was the stop point I was on when I was reading it. I, I do kind of like how they separated the crunch so it's in the back. Oh the yeah, that was. Stuff. Yeah, I think I I originally wrote the view and I'm like I haven't decided on this yet. And then after that winter court announcement, I decided I wanted to just go back and be like, so what were the various schools and options? Let me look over this again. And then I go to look in great clans and it's this enormous panel. And I post a little comment on my review update. I'm now off the fence. This, the Book of Air system is much better. <laughs> I think it is. I, I don't know if anything in the Book of Air itself excited me, but I like that. I actually liked, like you mentioned the, the duels. I thought the dueling section was actually really good. I didn't see any problem with having a little bit about the dueling dojo. It's not like Art of the Duel where right. it, from 3rd edition where it just kind of went crazy, but it also gets a lot into protocols of dueling and how you get things set up right. and whatnot because that well no in, in in a lot of ways it does touch everybody because since like dueling is the way you settle disputes in rakugan everybody has to deal with it in some way it touches everybody it doesn't but it's not i mean art of the duel was often right, right, considered right. a terrible supplement who created all this crazy stuff but it doesn't go into a bunch of like oh and then the mantis Settle duels by sailing boats, and the yeah, crab no, settle yeah. duels by banging their head on the wall until the no, who no, can see the, the biggest oni to fall down. No, I, no, crab settle duels by picking up the bakken, wielding like a tetsubo, and bashing the dragon's skull in. Right? That is discussed. There's a famous duel section, and one of them is Yakumo crunching Miramoto Satsu's head in. Yes, that is. I, one I, of them. I always enjoyed the novels where they tried to explain that as just like, oh, it had to happen. <laughs> okay. Don't make me come over there. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's how they explained it. No, no, I, I... Well, yeah, but you're making it the full story as it has been. I mean, and that's been touched on over and over and over again is 
Yakumo had insulted Satsu's wife. This and this is Miramoto Satsu, not Tagashi Satsu. Although that that's who he was named after, and he was because Tagashi Satsu was named by Hitomi, and Hitomi was Miramoto Satsu's Satsu's younger sister. So he was in line to be the the Miramoto Daimyo, and he was considered to be a great duelist, which you would never know by looking at his card, which is a complete pile of garbage. Uh, <laughs> which happens in the early days of L5R. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but he's a... <laughs> well, like, Kawanin didn't look anything like a clan champion. He's a 4-3, and his ability is some... He attaches the Ancestral Sword of the Dragon Clan for free, I think, and then if he dies, you can bring in copies of Hitomi cheaper or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, so they have this duel arranged, and... Then Tagashi, because the actual Tagashi is walking around, basically comes to Satsu the night before and says, Throw it! Well, he doesn't say throw it. He says, just FYI, this guy is the Crab Clan Thunder, and the second day of Thunder is coming up, so if you kill him, I don't know what's going to happen. But your choice, you know. Great, now now I've got this mental image of Satsu leaning on the sword. Uh, Thunder is coming. Yeah, and the duel is, this is an Iyajutsu duel, and Yakomo pulls out his Tetsubo and just hits it and just, yeah, just crushes him in the head. I thought it was a practice duel or something, so they were using Bakken rather than real swords. No. No? no, Am I misremembering? Yes, he just pulled out his Tetsubo in an Iyajutsu duel and caved his head in. I think it's one of those things, depending on exactly when you read it or where you read it, is it the, do you just get the, oh, and then Yakomo kills him, or do you get the whole backstory or what? In Book of Air, it's sort of presented as, this what's happened. And then some people say that maybe there was this other thing that was going on. So, and then, of course, that started the whole Yakomo-Hitomi feud, because she then picks up the ancestral sword of the dragon clan and challenges Yakomo. She's like this little girl. Right. He's like, come on, I'm going to get, he's like, yeah, and then, well, I think he accepts her challenge, yeah. and then he just doesn't kill her. It's been a while since I read those books. It yeah. just seemed really bizarre to me. Yeah, well, that's why you've got the the bookends of the various back and forths with them. Is at the beginning he like he accepts the like the little girl challenging him, beats her, and then says, "I'm gonna let you live, but you'll know that I could have killed you." And then on the actual day of thunder, when Hito- Hitomi saves his butt from Yakomo no Oni and kind of repeats that back to him as he's laying there bloodied on the ground. I'm not going to kill you, but you'll know I could have. Because, again, you need the big dumb jerk to go in there and... I mean, I guess he was... At this point, he's actually not so much the big dumb jerk anymore. He's... Because, you know, he's got the jade hand on and stuff. But, man, at the start of Clan War, we're... (laughs) we're, we're those Kisada and uh, Yakomo were... Yeah, what were we talking about again? Was this something the about, books, like, L5R present going forward? I thought we were supposed to be L5R done with L5R duels. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Or, no, book I hear not. Yeah, so, right now, we're in the Embers of War environment, except not really, because we don't have any turn. I mean, I, I was expecting to be like, okay, now it's Embers of War, and now we can make Embers of War decks, and then we can prepare for those for Gen Con, and except... There's going to be another set coming out in uh, before then called August, The Shadows Embrace. Sometime. No. I think it comes out. It would have to be in August because it's going to be Gen Con. It's Gen Con legal, but I think it comes out 
in July. The beginning of July. Well, you can pre-order in July. What's coming out before Gen Con? Yes. Yeah. But, but the, the, like the middle of July is when you can start ordering it, if I remember right. Or no, no, maybe it's middle of June you can start ordering it, and then yeah, no, no, yeah, well, no, June the, is the previews. June is the previews. Well, the previews are in June, but the previews are also pretty. Well, the previews started back in May, and because I think. Yesterday, today is Saturday Last for week us. Of May. Yeah, for us is Saturday, June second, and I think June first. That f- on Friday, that's, that's the when the crab previews went up. And right. That was the third set of clan it. previews. Right. So I think by I think by the middle of June, the previews are going to be done. Yeah. And uh, did I say that this is the shadows embrace that we're talking yeah. about? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, yeah, and so I think then you can it comes out then, but I think you're supposed to get it in early to mid July, and then. It will be legal at Gen Con, and so now I have no real tournaments in this environment. I, before a single tournament game with Embers of War was ever played, we were already getting a bunch of previews for the next expansion. It makes it very hard to, if I was actually had a Kote with it or something, maybe, but it makes it very hard to actually want to invest any time in building anything for this environment. I, it's almost like, I mean, like, we had a tournament today. I just played my, I can't say that. I didn't even put in the Embers of War cards. It's just... <laughs> well, there's just a couple you were probably going to swap, swap in anyway. Yeah, so maybe, yeah. I could have used games of, I could, I could have used that game of Will when I kept getting Game of Sincerity against the, uh, the Mantis Blitz Swarm thing. Yeah. But I, I guess that I mean, there were only a couple of weeks of Kote with it anyways, weren't, weren't there? Or was uh, it there's like a month. Three? There's, there's I mean, a month. whole month of oh, June. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were, they're like a quarter of Kote season is is in the month of June or something like that. It's it's a lot. It's at least, yeah, 15. I, at least that's my recollection. It's It would have been less, except they kind of fudged the 30 days <laughs> to, to have it become legal sooner. Right. For me, almost, that's the biggest impact of the Shadows Embrace, but it's kind of caused a hullabaloo. Like, as we were talking about in the last segment, the originally scheduled releases would have been something like November of 2011, Emperor Edition, February 2012, Embers of War, May 2012, Shadows Embrace, and then September 2012, I think Seeds of Decay. Yeah. And that's still slated for September 2012. Because and also I think all we have in that is the blurb that went out to distributors or something for the the you know the ordering, but everything slipped because of issues. I think there was flooding in China that messed up the production for Emperor Edition. Emperor Edition didn't hit till February. Embers of War obviously didn't come out until May, and I don't know. They didn't really go into a lot of detail exactly about what the reasons were, but I guess they decided that their ultimate things were completely drop the expansion which they probably can't afford to do, or doing what they are doing, which is releasing it as a factory set. So if you want to actually get all of Shadows Embrace, it's going to be just a $200 factory set from AEG. It's They're calling it a factory set. I'm going to use that term interchangeably with just direct-to-player set, because the difference is it doesn't have its own independent story, which is... Nothing really actually well, what the cards are. But one of, one of the things that is uh, that is kind of a difference is that 
um, then it's not designed as a direct-to-player set, which means it was designed as a production set, which means you're going to have some kind of probably weird cards that you're going to have three of. Yeah, and how much that does matter or should matter is sort of a question of how much should a direct-to-player set be, is how much is it designed differently and how much should it be designed differently. I mean, that was the thing. It's like, yeah, I don't want it designed like Forgotten Legacy, which was... No. Clearly juiced in order to make sure that the set would push enough sales yeah. for the the director player to work, and has I think had a negative impact on on the environment, and will continue to have a negative impact in the next for, arc for years because there are overpowered cards in the set that are eternity bonds. I well, just to me, uh, creating order and I've been playing in a Bushi league where we've been restricting certain things to help new players like kind of work into the system um, and you were limited to the number of rares but another thing was that nobody could use any kind of forgotten legacy stuff because it was trying to also drum up business for the FLGS uh, friendly local game store and it just it, I don't know I guess it surprised me how how refreshing it was to not have to use game of dice and creating order in every deck that I make because like I, I can't not put those in a deck. They're just too generic. Yeah. Then there's a if you go on the AG forums, there's a big, huge, long thread about the Shadows Embrace, and if you're a player who is the sort of player who goes out and dumps a bunch of money buying boxes, I think I at least think that it ultimately it works out better for you. You're paying two hundred dollars plus. Whatever the ridiculous shipping is that AEG's shipping charges are through the roof on on their orders. So I, I, don't I, I mean, they do I, enough volume to get. Well, like the the shipping on Forgotten Legacy was like fifteen dollars or something. So the shipping on this is going to be like twenty or twenty five or I. Twenty five is what I heard, Ben. So yeah, I mean it'll it'll come out, it'll come out. So but still, that's. I mean, if you're talking about to get a playset, if you were actually just buying boxes if you're just I mean, if you're just going on the internet it's still costing you twice as much give or take to get a place out of stuff and if you're going and you're not hosing your local retailer then it's going to cost you more than that plus you don't have to pay shipping then but you're going to then have to in most places you also are going to have to kick in Six percent, eight percent, nine percent, whatever to the to your friendly state government. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so being one of the, I'm one of those players that's going out and buying that, and I, and it'll probably be half, half a. I got a basically a playset of uh, of Embers of War, and this is going to cost me half of what it did for the other one. So yeah. for me, it's a good deal. But then again, I also don't get the commons and uncommons to hand out to friends or the spare unique rares I don't care about. Yeah, I mean the the, the downsides. It is another serious impediment for casual players. There are there are people out there who yet do not buy cards by the box. They buy a small number of packs or groups where people go in and split boxes and then divvy up the commons or I get this or that. And you can still do, d depending on how it is, you can do that with the Shadows Embrace as long as it's... I mean, you, you don't have the ability to double up on commons, but... Right. You, you know, at least you're gonna get, you get stuff separately. And the, of course, the other thing is that it's a, on the retailer side. It's I mean, it's a product that the retailers get nothing no. of, and it also does mean that it's 
that's a lot of stuff dropped pretty fast. Yeah. Embers of War came out in May. This is going to come out in July. And then so the next set's going to come out in September. Right. And so the, you're going to have a set every two months. And that's like four or five months between really product release for the product for the game store? That's, that's four months. Four months. Uh, well, well, it's a little bit longer. I don't... Well, and that... And that's not really unusual anyway, because remember, if this had not been, if there, the, the, there was a gap, but effectively the gap was last fall when there wasn't supposed to be. There was supposed to be a set that came out in May and then a set that came out in September. It's just that those sets were supposed to be The Shadows Embrace followed by Seeds, Seeds. of Decay, and now it's going to be Embers of War and right. then Seeds of Decay. The gap was when you went from Second City in September of 2011 to Emperor Edition in February of where, where you had the five-month gap instead of it was only supposed to be two months between Second City and Emperor and then three months between Emperor and, and Embers of War. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a, uh, some friends who are doing the $200 and we're splitting it up. And certainly people did that with Forgotten Legacy. I knew quite a few people who went in together and bought a set of Forgotten Legacy. I don't know how they deal with the, you know, the uniques, but... And part of this for me, like, I, I have a hard time judging ultimately whether or not it's a good idea because they, they, I mean, AEG has said, oh, we didn't really have a choice but to do X or Y, but they haven't really explained why, no, it, how, it, how it is that they came to that conclusion. So it's hard to say one way or the other. I don't know, you know, I don't know how the numbers work financially out for it. I don't know what the game is doing sales-wise because it's not like that's published anywhere. Right. Oh, I mean, and... Reese came onto that forum and said, "We're onto that thread and said, everything that you've talked about, we considered. Everything was on the table. This was the only way that we felt. It came down to the X or Y. Don't make it, or this is how we have to do it. Yeah, but he yeah. never, he didn't give any explanation beyond. Yeah, that. yeah. It was a very like anything that wasn't just everything you've mentioned. We thought of like things you haven't, haven't mentioned, mentioned. That thing you haven't mentioned yet. We thought of that too. Yeah. And then we rejected it. But yeah, it, he doesn't say what that thing was or why it was rejected or. No, I mean, and, I, and then and then Nico did a clarification of stuff, which was. M- I think was mostly about how they're going to make these shipping less onerous. Because I mean, we're we're sitting here complaining about paying twenty five dollars. It's these this stuff costs an arm and a leg for the guys in the in Europe or people in the Philippines or something when they're when they're buying these things. Especially since when we are buying it, when we in the states are buying it, not only is the shipping less, but we've completely avoided tax. Whereas when you send it over to Europe, not only do you have to pay a, a crazy high shipping price. But then you have to, to, yeah, to do the customs charges. I, I don't know. So I, I honestly don't really know what exactly to think about the decision okay. right now. Well, I, I think we should also uh, just briefly discuss the... Because um, the, it's not just one $200 set. It's $200, you get... Uh, they have the clan packs, which have all of the personalities and the clan sword and stronghold, if applicable. And those are $10 a piece, right? Well, yes. Although they, the as originally announced, you had it. It as originally announced, it made it sound like you had three options, but you really only had two. So oh, okay. there was kind of a problem with the way it was written. Is right. that there are clan packs as as originally announced? There are clan packs, and they're ten dollars, but you can't actually buy them um, separately. Okay. It was you can pay two hundred dollars and get the whole set and the promo, the the experience Gaku. version of Gaku, and some kind of box some kind of card box. Then you could have the strategy pack, which 
basically has everything in it that's not a clan aligned personality or the stronghold or the you know or the cards that would have been fixed in the starter decks. And then and that's hundred forty dollars. And you get one of the clan. And with yes, and you get one clan pack with that for free. And then it's ten dollars for a clan pack. But you couldn't actually just buy a clan, clan pack. pack. It was okay. just that you could add them on to something else. So you can make it modular. But after the clarification, the other thing that they said was, yes, okay, we will go ahead and just separately sell the clan packs, but not right away. It's sort of like they have to go ahead and sell, maybe there was going to be two, three weeks, a month or something like that, while they, I don't know exactly how that's going to work, because they've, the, they've got to get all the, the actual full set orders out before they start dealing with people wanting to buy the $10 pack. I don't know. So that's kind of hanging out there. Now, I know you had opinions you on this, Jay, before we moved on, if you wanted to offer those up. No, I think Mike uh, mentioned a couple of them. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, one of the big things is, I mean, even the person who, like Mike, is going to buy the $200 pack, you're still missing out on some quantity of cards and extra sets of common... Really, in the long run, what, what this hurts... Um, really in the long run with the search is just going to be that kind of the casual player because yeah. it's going to be harder for them to get those cards uh, they're going to have to buy it online which is going to sell s- singles prices probably it, we haven't even seen the set though so we don't even know how much like really really good stuff uh, and also you have the problem that because of the way it's distributed it's really hard to do prize support with it right and there's so, no and, and they've been pushing more of the limited formats and there's no limited I don't. Yeah, I don't know. How uh, not that I'm that saying that I miss it specifically <laughs> myself. Yeah. But. Well, it. It is often the case that when a new set comes out, people are a lot less interested, for obvious reasons, in the old set, and you want to see your prize support be the new set. And so the Shadows Embrace is going to come out, but the prize support is still going to be Embers of War until September. Although, if you think of that as a, if you think of that like a direct to player set. It's only because this is presented as, oh, we're doing it as this, but it's still a normal expansion, I think, that we even talk about that. It's not like when Forgotten Legacy we came out, we're like, oh, well... You can't do price support. now who's going to want to do price support? If you think about when Forgotten Legacy came out, it was a kind of a similar time frame, right? You had Before the Dawn come out near the end of Kote season, then you had Forgotten Legacy come out so that it was legal for Gen Con, and then you had Second City come out in September. It's... Really, we're kind of ending up with exactly the same release schedule this year that we ended up with last year. It's just that it's a two hundred dollar direct to player set in a hundred instead of a hundred dollar direct to player. Yeah, but and, but that also fell that also fell into the pattern. It seems like they've been doing one direct to player set, which tends to be like the second set before the uh, release of the new base set. Yeah, they, that's what definitely Coden. They have done a direct to player set, I think, every year since 2006, with the exception of 2010. There was not one in 2000. Well, I thought there was two years between Death of Coton and because um, Death of Coton came out before Celestial Edition came out, and then yeah, but it, it came out in 2009, and then Forgotten Legacy came out in 2011. So 2010, there were there were I mean, yes, there were two years between the set, but that means that there was one year that didn't have right a set. Yeah. Right, that's what I'm saying. So I would think people would probably be expecting another direct player not set not to come out until next. But there was in 2006, in 2007, 2008, 2009. All I mean, there was. Yeah, I think it's starting in two. Yeah, starting in 2006 through now through 2012 for that seven year period 2010 is the only year that didn't have a direct to players yeah. so I, I think the the just the biggest thing is probably the price point 
If it wasn't $200, I don't think you'd see it. Yeah, if it was $100 and people said, oh, and they were like, oh, here's another direct-to-player product, and they actually just announced it and this and said this is a direct-to-player product, I don't think anybody would flip that. And actually, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if they if they had just presented it as a supersized direct-to-player set and just said, okay, it's $200, but it's twice as big as a normal direct-to-player, so... If they were going to put it out this fast, I don't know if they could have sold it off. I think people would have known. But it, partially, it's not a question of people knowing what's up. Partially, with these things, it's a question of what are people's immediate gut reaction, reaction to yeah, it. True. And that's always going to be... I, I don't think it was really too bad, but there's certain... When you read the announcement, there's a certain amount of obvious sort of marketing speak in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even when you read the um, thread, you see... It, it seemed to me that I saw the same four or five people complaining kind of over and over. Yes. The same thing, and then you had actually interspersed in there a few people who are like, you know what, I really like... I really like this way of distributing it. Which, I, I'm generally one of those people. Welcome to the internet. Yes. <laughs> but I, I think the most valid complaint is just that it's cutting out the FLG. I think, if nothing else, that, that's kind of the biggest thing. And they've been really trying to support them, so for them to not really say anything to any of the retailers about it, is... Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they didn't give any kind of announcement, any kind of heads up to retailers that oh, there was this other thing coming. There was a lot of discussion in the thread. I mean, especially like you're saying from one one of the particular posters about what's going on at his store. But I don't. It would be nice to know how widespread is that when you're taught. You know, is there how how much FLGS sales are getting cannibalized by by online stores? I, obviously, that goes on. What's the extent of that? I don't know. Is it a bigger problem than it was a year ago or two years ago? I have no idea. Well, because the person in that forum is saying that that's exactly what it is. It is not just cannibalized, but like, or at least the sales have gone down for on the super secret boards for retailers for the FLGSs. Yeah. But I mean, I have no idea. I do believe what he said was, you know. When the set comes out, that's basically when he sells everything he's going to sell. Like, very yeah. little gets resold after that. Which yeah, makes this is spell, not magic. <laughs> yeah, which makes the shelf space very expensive for someone who wants to support L5R. Yeah, I would totally get that. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel for them. I don't know. It's, it's not L... I mean, even in mine, I try to support FLGSs, but when my choices are $100 a box or $140 a box with the quantity that I buy... I, I try and mix it up. I go two from the direct and I one from the FLG. I mean, that's my own personal thing. I want to support them, but at the quantities that I want, I, I can't do a hundred. Yeah. Well, luckily in your case, <laughs> whatever money you save by buying the box of L5R online, you just turn around and buy a board game well, yeah. <laughs> from the game store anyway. Oh, <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> yeah, basically, I mean, most of them don't complain because you know, I'll go in and drop <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What yeah. Say? If, you, if, there's, if if we are reviewing a non AEG game within you know three months of when it come out, it's almost certainly because Mike <laughs> went out and bought it. I you know he's he's gonna go to Gen Con. This year. I, guess, I guess this doesn't help the FLGS either. You're the guy who goes to Gen Con and walks out of the Fantasy Flight booth groaning under the weight of all the 
this oh, junk. That giant bag. I, oh my god, the thing was gigantic. Well, it's not my fault. They pre-release things. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, am I gonna wait two months for this game I've been really waiting for? Am I gonna buy it right now? Those I'm jerks. gonna buy it right now. You're not good at waiting for things. I remember oh. the whole, like, <laughs> I was in the Diablo 3 beta, and then that went down for three weeks, and you about had an aneurysm. Yes. <laughs> well, but that actually was crack. That's like, yeah. here, try this method, you know, try this meth. Okay, now we'll have more product for you in three weeks. <laughs> Blizzard. I think it would be more palatable also if they had broken it down maybe a little bit more, if they had had some kind of smaller chunks. I don't know how they could have done that, and I guess this is the only way they could do it. But. Well, I, I imagine that you start... First, there's... I mean, even setting aside just logistical difficulties, I, I, when you break it down too much, you're going to start running into, oh, okay, whatever the pack is that has the... bro Like, the, like oh, if yeah. you had Embers, which pack has inexorable in it? Okay, yep. so everyone bought that, and no one bought the pack that has the True. junkie cards, and then... True. Now we're left with a bunch of cards that we haven't sold and we haven't made enough money off of the set. Oh, oh, and and I, I was thinking, I'm like, well, maybe could you, like, cull cards? Could you say, okay, these cards were meant to be... I, I don't want to say that they put... But there's some stuff that they're going to put some more limited support in, I'm assuming. Um, there's definitely some cards in basically every set that are just like... Yeah, the the, the uh, spell, that air spell. Purify the soul that we have on the, the website. Yeah. Like, well, this is the most narrow meta I have ever seen, and, and it's not, not even that effective. good. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> not even that great. Well, uh, I mean, to, to me, the problem is if you try to do that, even if you go with obviously, oh, this says Henshin in the Phoenix. That's not going to be even. It's not going to be across true. the board. So you're going to have to add or subtract cards to get to it. And then people are going to be like, why does my... Scorpion pack have this card. This makes no sense with right. it. Well, 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 even more what I was talking about is just calling it down so it's not a, like, 300-card sentence closer to, like, what the direct-to-player set is, and then you could charge a little bit less for it. But they probably need to make their production costs because you had yeah, to pay the artist, you had to pay for design time, all that type of stuff. Probably, I would actually would have been drop the set entirely. I'm surprised that that was ever added. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. think it really could be. I mean, yeah. I know I know the exp explanation that Reese gave was, oh, it's story. We couldn't let the story get gapped like that. Like, you could have put out, a, like, a PDF, like a, like a five-page PDF. Even if you missed the art and there's some flavor text on the thing, okay, you could actually just, yeah, release a thing that had the flavor text in it. The fictions that you're going to tell, you could just publish those yeah, fictions. Yeah, but they've paid I mean, for that art. Like, they need to get yeah, reimbursed yeah, yeah, for yeah. that. Well, if they, it, or frankly, if they had... If they had actually canned the set, all of that art would have gotten reused. Yeah, I, yeah. And frankly, when they even when they talk about dropping a set, I don't see how you could actually literally just drop a set because Seeds of Decay was play tested. I'm sure with including all of the Shadows Embrace cards, yeah. you could not just. Yeah, well, I, I certainly don't want to lose my duelist that kills people as a treat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we I cannot mean, cancel the set. Yeah, we, we have. <laughs> to have her. <laughs> yeah, we we have. See, like I said, we've we've seen some chunks. We've seen we we're getting more faster than we normally would because they're just doing one round of previews on each clan site. So so far, we've seen the three clans with strongholds. We've seen Crane. We've seen Phoenix. We've seen Crab. And I, I usually try to refrain from this sort of thing until I've at least at least you know seen the whole set before I make my reactions things but i have to say i saw the crab berserker stronghold which is 
battle destroyer card with that attachment. And uh, endless force. I just yes, yes, and it works on your. And if your guy's a berserker, it works even when your he guy bowed. is bowed. And as we all know, berserkers are not exactly doing shabby to begin with, anyway. And man, is that good or what with the guy from Embers of War who has the reaction after he performs an action that destroys a card, negate the next thing that I saw that, and it was I just rolled my eyes at the I. I have no idea what on earth they were thinking. Well, they were redoing Seventh Tower. They went to go back to the whole what was that was that Samurai when you had Seventh Tower and Razor of the Dawn. Which ridiculously good crab stronghold do you want to use? Well, so here's the sad thing: it, most analyzation that I've seen of it since it's come out has placed it like somewhere in third for what deck you're going to use because the other two strongholds for that can use Berserkers are already just that good. And that's the thing. That stronghold. When I look at that stronghold, I there's just no way I can think like that's too good. Which, if anything, and then the only reason it's not too good is because you already gave them other ridiculous stuff, which is not really much of a defense. No, uh, I give all my guys free attachment protection is just yeah. Well, I, I think clearly the way that the emperor environment has worked out and just what the cards are is that attachment protection has been so much stronger in this environment than it ever was before. Prior to Emperor Edition, I mean, Cutenhita was legal. Yep. In Celestial at the end. Yep. And it's not like it was bad. I mean, it, it no. was clearly handy, but it was not... I don't remember anybody looking at it at Before the Dawn and going like, wow, this is ridiculous. No, because we're still in Celestial. Because in that environment it wasn't. No. Because that's... Because of just the nature of the, the cards out there, but now there's just so much stuff that doesn't punch through attachments and ranged attacks everywhere. And I mean, there's really only steel on steel that kills a whole stack. I mean, as far as, like, duels. Duels have been, like, uh, in, like, a, a, a few unique personalities that have killed duels. Yeah. And th those are typically the things that will kill stack. Yeah, so who did you guys have to pay to get the new, your new unique duelist, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> The <laughs> same person we paid to get the perk chick that draws a card. I, I don't know, but I would definitely like to thank. Yeah, because yeah. Well, yeah, I remember looking at Phoenix. I, I remember looking at Cranes and being like, "Oh, there's some really solid stuff in here," but it doesn't seem unreasonable. I looked at Phoenix and you had some stuff that was didn't seem that great, but like three cards, especially since I was I was unimpressed with the the Phoenix Stronghold. Since especially since I think Library of Rebirth is so good, but Phoenix got three cards that I immediately look at and I'm like, wow, that is amazing. And your your lethal duelist permanent force pumps herself. Yeah. Because why not? The sort of alternate cast aside the week for Henshin. And then your clan sword that brings dudes temporarily brings dudes back to life for free. Yeah, that's that's pretty uh filthy hey, that, that lineup right there. We get negative four force in the open. Crane got negative four force. Open force penalty doesn't is not it's so not bad. bad, but uh, bring yeah, someone no, no. back from the dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the and the crab one is battle open straight in the unit. Yeah, which is is not shabby. Although it is at least on a big cost item. I remember, yeah. but again, samurai when dragon had the the armor of the dragon, scales of the dragon from the temptation thing, which was just a a three force for four. 
that was Battle Open Straight in the and that was not shabby. Repeat use battle open straight to unit is good, it turns out. Who knew? Yeah. Crab, last arc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did we have something with that in Crab recently? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the other thing for Cute and Hita XP. He didn't get to play because he had Shattered Beak still. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, there's a lot of good cards. I Maybe it's just knee jerky, and there's this sort of thing, you know, you get this a little bit every arc, but I. Lately, at least, I've been looking at it feeling like I mentioned earlier, man, when stuff is, if stuff is going to end up balanced, it's going to end up being because just everybody has a few random, completely ridiculous cards and can, uh, who happened to draw them right. that game. Haruma Nakaru seems like the biggest example of that. It is, it can be such a different game against Berserkers, just depending on whether or not they, they draw him, because his... Ability is so rich. Yeah. Non-XP. Yeah, the non-XP. People seem to really like the experienced one, which is in Embers of War. I'm actually okay with in, uh, him. In uh, Shadows Embrace. In Shadows Embrace. Yeah, he seemed reasonable. Yeah, he's okay, I just, I don't Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I can see that. Yes. The four-force penalty from the sword first, and then you're good. Except for he's going to have a weapon, and it doesn't use his base force, he uses his current. Uh, just play that collat action that makes his force I'm zero. just going to do not duel him. I'm yeah. just going to do, send do him away. Yeah, do yeah. something else with him that's not dueling him. He still I, has like two or three chi. So, yeah. I've got other things. Ring of fire him. Yes, exactly. That'll get the job done. This is my Ryoshin's Guidance Recruitment Officer token. I eat your Nakaru. <laughs> yeah. ah. And you see that in the thing. Yeah, Recruitment Officer is really good. Duty of the Crab is really good. There are a lot of things running around that individually are good. I mean, you know, for Phoenix, it's not like Henshin were doing anything. And I think once the Shiba did something. So it's not like those aren't decks that are something, in need yeah. of something. But at this point, it may just be you can't catch a deck type up unless you're dropping something on them like that. Because... Well, as long as they are, like, one or two cards for a deck type in a set, yeah. You print fair things for a, a theme that's behind, and you're just never going to catch up, because yeah. some of the themes just started with the unfair stuff already, so... But, and, in, in, yeah, some of the stuff... Well, I guess we, we'll go over this whenever we do an actual preview yes. review. But even like the the crane guy that you have to ditch the favor to bow something without attachments as an open. I don't know. It it, it seems kind of weird to have attached that cost to it or to have it make it have that. I don't know. I mean, what what do you think you should be allowed to have a guy who just says open bow and attachment without any kind of restriction? Yeah, I know that's crazy talk. <laughs> that's crazy talk. You know what? Maybe we could also have him not be eight gold, but like seven, and also be a magistrate. I mean, that's just craziness, I know. Oh, wait, he's wearing blue. That's the problem. That is the problem. No, that is the problem. That's why he can't have courtier and magistrate. Only dudes wearing yes. yellow can have courtier and magistrate. Yes. Uh, dudes wearing blue have to decide between courtier or samurai magistrate duelist. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, know. you, have to, you, you have your guys with three keywords. It's just that the, one of the keywords is samurai instead of courtier, right? Yeah. Well, anyways. Okay, I think that, unless you guys want me to talk about my love for uh, Shakae and the Leash, I think, I think we'll, we'll call it a day for... Uh, oh, well, you got, you got a good card, Starcross Lovers. 
Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it, yeah, it doesn't look like a good card no. for their story with the blanked out flavor text box. And it's not a good Curse card either. you. It's not a card. It's not a card that would get played. I don't think it's actually not a. It's not a shabby effect. I, you know, no. when, when people attack you, they usually like to attack with multiple guys on one problem. It's not always, but usually at some point that happens. And or you could just, last, their last battle, you can just make sure somebody yeah. doesn't show up. Yeah, it could be like your two best guys. One of them has to stay home. Or you can say my Sorry. guy and your guy, right? Because it just says two personalities. Yeah, and then if you attack in, then they can't defend with somebody. But or, or vice versa. No, no if they, they tack in, then you couldn't defend because oh, they're that's already right. there. True. Yeah, it's yeah, a, no, no, a double-edged sword. Unless yeah. you're stupid in cavalry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah, it let, makes my infantry guy become uh, cavalry defense. I, I don't know. Okay, that's it for L5R today. Now's the non-L5R stuff of this. I think we should talk about whatever games we've bought recently. So today, I bought Battleship and Monopoly Jr. So I think we should talk about those for the next half hour. Is that okay with you guys? We're listeners, right? That's what you want to hear, right? As long as we don't have to talk about the movie. <laughs> no, no, but I actually did buy those this morning for 50 cents each when I was at a garage sale with my wife. I figured, hey... It Why was a not? dollar. Yeah. Benjamin will play them someday. Man, it, it, I, I don't want him to get any older because he's so adorable, but it'll be so great when he can actually play games. <laughs> yep. That's what's ultimately going to end me in L5R is when he's old enough that we have to go play Pokemon instead. <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon's a pretty fun game. Eh. And also, I don't really want to maintain... I. Two, oh, yeah. I have to see it. Two CCGs is is uh, one too many. One one finance time sucking mono well, game that, is all th- I can. That's a good thing about Pokemon. You can just b- be whatever. Buy a starter. He's happy. What? No, you have, have to, to catch them all. Come on, what's wrong with you? You gotta go to tournaments and not be bad. And uh, wait, you're allowed to not be bad? Crud, is that what I've been doing wrong all along <laughs> in L5R? What I Why did no one wrong? tell me this? <laughs> yes, step one, don't be bad. <laughs> step two, be good. Step four, profit. Yeah, so we finally, for the first time today, sat down and played Thunderstone Advance with the new avatar, well not the new, but with the little avatars mini expansion pack thing, and it's Pretty straightforward. There were five different avatars for your five, your your four core D and D classes plus rangers. Each player gets to choose an avatar, and it kind of represents sort of you being you're the person who's hiring these adventures to go do whatever. So it's sort of you're a cleric then, or you're a ranger, and it just sits and play yeah. the game. It gives right. you a, a default ability, and then at some point you can pay. If you want to, whenever you can pay four or five experience and flip it over, and then it's got a second ability that lets you discard extraneous XP to do whatever. So, what did you guys think about the avatars? I would want to play with them more, but I wasn't super impressed. I didn't think it was going to make that much of a difference in gameplay, or at least it didn't seem to what... Well, I mean, our setup was also kind of bad about it. 
Uh, I sort of felt like because you got to pick which one you were doing, it was the thief one was just in, in some way. The, the rest of them are all sort of have their own niche that they want to use, whereas the thief is more generally good. So the two of you both picked the thief. Yeah. I went for the wizard. I thought it worked out okay, but. I feel like they'd be more interesting if you had some sort of randomness in how you were picking such that... Well, the the problem, I think, if you were handing them... I mean, you could just do them randomly, but the problem with that might be that, like you said, they are kind of niche, and the wizard one requires you to buy spells, the cleric one does nothing unless you're getting curses, yeah. the fighter one only matters if there's a combination of weapons and heroes such that strength becomes more relevant. I think that could be a little too swingy if you had... What if you're the guy who gets randomly gets the cleric in a build where there are no curses? Uh, yeah, well, you, you would, I would think you would have to kind of redesign them a little bit. I mean, at least they did feel like what classes they were doing. What classes you were supposed to be matched the abilities of whatever classes in Thunderstone. Yeah, I think ultimately for me, they ended up... We played a build where the Thief didn't have a terrible lot to do because there wasn't a real juicy, expensive weapon or item because that makes stuff cheaper. But yeah, it seems like generically that would be better. Or just if there's a really good spell, the Wizard could be handy. I'd... I think the Cleric actually would have been okay in that game because we got a lot of curses. Well, we the, have, the problem uh, with the cleric, to my mind, was that it was slightly less penalty for hitting curses rather than an ability to remove them. Yeah. And especially since it was, was village only rather than dungeon such that... Eh. Yeah, I, I guess I like the avatars better than the familiars. That's how I feel right now. But they, to me, they to somewhat fit in the same space where... They don't add you're, anything. Well, it's not that they don't add anything. You're, but you're you're putting in you're additional complexity. complexity, and I don't know if you're really getting, getting anything, enough yeah. out of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, it's not that the idea of the uh, avatar is bad. It's that I felt like, again, other than the rogue, the rest of them were too nichey, such that it was sort of like, oh, is this a random board setup where I definitely want the fighter? Well, then rogue. I, 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 mean, I, I would like it that there's more strategic difference between them. I don't know how best to accomplish that, but... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would kind of like that. I mean, there are a lot of games where you are, like, whatever of a character. It doesn't have to be that strong or whatever. I, I wish it just had stronger impact on the game. Because, I mean, it, it's not something that has to be in the game anyways. Just like, you know, like or the sen just like the scenario stuff. It's a bunch of optional things. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had remembered to bring one of the printed out scenarios that they've done for Thunderstorm Advance. I forgot to bring one, so I still haven't had the chance to play those. They put out. I read the first one, and they put out two. I haven't read the second one though. But they're just, it's just sort of like adding in little rule, little separate rules for a specific scenario to try to get in on all the. There's this has been an awful lot of customization of of Thunderstone by people. Uh, over the last couple of years. We also played Quarriers, which... Unfortunately. It's a dice-building... Yeah, Quarriers is the dice-building game, and so the basic concept of that is you... Instead of a deck that you shuffle, you have a pouch full of dice, 
and you roll, you pull, you know, six of them out and you roll them and it's the equivalent of, of having a hand and you have a currency called quiddity and you can use that to buy more dice, either spells or creatures. You can also, if one of your dice that has a creature face comes up with a creature, you can also then use your cash, use your quiddity to put that creature into play. It then gets one chance to attack everybody else's creatures, and if it manages to survive everybody else's attacks until the following turn, then you score it and get some victory points, It's called, which is called glory. And then just, you know, whoever gets to, to 15, 12, 15, 20 first, depending on how many players are in the game, wins. But I don't think any of us are particular fans of this. Like I think there's some interesting ideas, but I think a lot of them are very badly implemented. Yeah, it's another case of it's a it's not that it's a bad concept; it's that it's a flawed execution somehow. I'm I'm not sure what a good fix would be, but just I mean the fact that you've got the double randomness of getting to the dice and then rolling the dice really adds a lot of luck. Yes, tones down your strategic depth. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's it, is that even when you buy, like, uh, you, you can buy spells or you can buy creatures, and there's only a few spells, and it's mostly creatures that you're buying. And you have the the base quiddity die, which are, it's they're all D6s, uh, six-sided dice. The, the quiddity dice is um, six of your ten starting dice. It's five sides of one quiddity and one side of two quiddity, and that's all they are. Then all of the monsters that you buy, and even the spells that you buy, at least two of their sides are also quiddity. Uh, what, so what that means is, I might buy this monster, but when it comes back around, I might not actually get this monster. And I, I think the idea is that, because whenever you score a monster, you can cull something that's in your use pile, which is like your discard pile. It's just where the dice go before they go back in the dice sack whenever you run out of dice. Because they, I think the idea is that way you can call, uh, call all of your quiddity dice. And no, then no, you, I, I think I think given how the game works, you are allowed to say qual your quiddity <laughs> dice. <laughs> yeah. So that's how you, you basically you, you're, it would enable you to get rid of your quiddity dice, and you still have monsters. And then some of them would roll monster faces, and some of them would roll like quiddity, but it never really lasts that long. And uh, you, uh, like, there's a lot of situations where you roll like one quiddity and like all everything face and they're all like level two so you can't buy anything or uh, you just never roll uh, the monsters. I don't, I don't know that I've ever been involved in a game of couriers that lasted long enough for no. that to happen. I think part, part of the problem is that on the one hand you can end up with situations where no matter what it is that you bought, yeah, it's just the, the monster side never comes up in, in time. And on the other hand, you can have situations where the you know most recent game where we played where you can just get a very win more mechanic. If you get some decent rolls right at the beginning, especially if you get a, a nice new monster die or two, and you get those guys out, which means that if you've actually got the decent monster or get a couple of them at the same time, you get to do your attack to stop anybody else from scoring at all. And then when you score, not only do you get victory points for scoring, but yeah, you get to start taking the junky dice out of your deck, which just makes it more likely that those slightly better monsters that you got to begin with are going to show up again. And again, the most recent game we played, I think we were playing to 15 because there were, it was the three of us playing and Jay had a point. 
And I had zero. Yeah. And I had 15. Yep. Yeah. And it's not like that was the result of any sort of strategic brilliance on my part in how I assembled my bag. It was just that I got a guy out first and I scored him and I got to call. And then when each of you guys got your one starting creature from the, the dice pool out... I happened to have a turn where I got two, which means I killed both of yours. Yep. And right. Then Mo and then my guys were all able to score, and at that point it was just kind of snowball races. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't think I ever brought anything other than my pawns out. I don't think I ever flipped up anything other than that. I don't, I don't think I did either. Now that you mention it, yeah. And I bought like a couple of seven cost uh, the seven cost oozes, and I I bought. Uh, something else. But, yeah. I mean, it only lasted like five rounds. Because that's the problem with this game, is it just snowballs, and it's not based off of chance, it's based off of luck. And it's not even fun luck. Did you just say it's not based off of chance, it's oh, based sorry. off of luck? Sorry, my bad. <laughs> it's not based off of skill, it's based off of luck, and it's not even, like, fun luck. Like, um, the, uh, the epic spell wars, which I know you hate, but for the people that I've played with and enjoy it, there is randomness to it, but it's okay, because you expect that randomness. This, like, it feels like there should be more strategy, and there just isn't. Well, I think it's, it really is the, yeah, the, the doubleness of it. In anything, there's, there's always going to be a lot of luck, and obviously in anything that's a dice game or a card game, but usually it's, okay, we're playing with dice, and these are the dice I have, and, you know, my I get X dice because I have these units on the table, and what do I roll? Or I have, I'm playing a card game, and it's who knows what, am I going to get my different combos together in the right time? It just sort of, it feels like there's this extra, the, the frustration kicks in a little bit, I mean, it's where you draw your dice, even when you get your good die, you end up not really getting to use it as a good die. On the other hand... I mean, yeah, and I guess it's that there just isn't very little beyond that. Because if you look at Summoners, which is, I know, a game that you really like, that also has a what do you draw and what do you roll on the die aspect. And yet, that's not a game where I've ever heard somebody say, oh, but that's the luck place. But that's also partially because you, you know, are putting the cards on a board and moving them around. Right, you have some control over what comes into play. Yeah, yeah, you actually make decisions. I think maybe if, if this game had, like, you draw ten dice and pick six to roll, there would feel more strategic... No, because you just always pick the best dice. Uh, well, I'm not saying it would be yeah. strategic. I'm saying yeah. it would feel more strategic. You're actually just, making a decision? Right, you're actually making a decision more than just pull six random dice and roll them. For most of the time, it's buy your dudes, buy whatever the best die is that you can afford. Right, and then, right. I mean, which is, which is true of you know, almost any standard deck builder. It's really well, just well, no, the, but, like, but, you only want to buy whatever the one best thing is you can buy that but turn. Yeah, I mean, you look at, uh, we played those back-to-back. -back. We played Thunderstone Advance and we played Quarriers. Thunderstone Advance, I did very, very badly. I, I placed last, by like six points behind you guys. Behind Jay. And Jay, you were like seven points behind no, him. He was right? one I was point behind point. Oh, was He point. was eight yeah. points. Yeah. Right. So even though I felt frustrated and I didn't feel like I got a whole lot of a hands, at least it felt like I made some decisions. Quarriers, it was just like, okay, what one die am I going to get? Well, okay. yeah, and, and it's, I, I think it's, there's some, but especially since the game can end so fast, there's less deliberate construction. Yeah, it's really just more like buy the best die. Is it, And Thunderstone, at least, you have to balance 
something you know things that are worth gold things that produce light things or that have strength i have an option at a turn i just destroy something in my hand that i don't like yeah i yeah, mean if everything can, is really that bad yeah do you buy a new good card or do you you know how how good does the card you want to buy have to be before it's a better option than shredding the i mean we're regulars now so there's not as obvious as militia that, that right. they really want to be shredded right away but they still still pretty fast uh you don't and most deck builders are like that. There's at least some kind of choices, even if the choices aren't super great. I feel like there's just not very much choice. You just buy the best IU you can get. So, there we go. There's couriers. I mean, if you want a, a tin with a gigantic pile of dice in it, which you do get, hmm. you, you cannot say that they have shirked on the gigantic pile of dice. And they've even... Increased replayability without making the cost skyrocket by having each die. There are three versions of each of the the monsters, so you can have the same die, and then those versions can't show up in the same game together. But you, you get to do it, spread out the the versatility of the dies and let you, gives you a lot more replayability. I mean, if you want to replay it without having to, you know, buy three times as many dice. Yeah. So. But then again, it's not even like you can use the dice for anything else. Yeah. When it is designed by the same guy who designed Thunderstone, Thunderstone yeah, Mike I know. That, that's, yeah. that was part of the reason why I liked it. Uh, or well, I was excited for it, I should say. But, well, yeah, and when, and that's the thing. Like Everybody was excited for it. It was a, it was a huge buzz game last year. It was nominated yeah. for three different Dice Tower Awards, which it probably end up being the most relevant board card gamer awards if you're if you exclude the entirety of miniatures and collectible card games, which aren't even touched on at all. But, I mean, they're they're better than the Origins Awards. They're, frankly, better. I mean, the... All of the... It feels the, like the, all the, of the board the, game awards are biased or bad in some ver some way. Well, I don't know if... I, don't I know think if, all awards are biased well, in some well, way. Well, well but, but, I mean, well, even the categories of, like, what do you include as far as fairness, they're all sure. very specific, or there's things they leave out, or, like, you know there's certain preferences. Well, that's, I, I mean, it's different from the, I mean, there's certainly preferences, but I know they've, they've announced the Spiel des Jahres Awards this time, you know, like, most of the, you wouldn't even have heard of them. Well, the Kingdom Builder was the one that I, in, uh, that I was surprised to see that, because... King, I think it's Kingdom Builder. It, it's the one that uh, Reiner, uh, not Reiner Nuzia, uh, the uh, Vaccarino, yeah, Vaccarino, the guy who did um, Dominion. Dominion. It's his game. I've only ever seen lukewarm reviews of that game, it, and even less well, than lukewarm well, I've reviews seen of that positive game. Positive reviews of that too, but I mean, yeah, they they look for a specific thing, and I know there's also been disappointments since they, not not. I mean, they only just did this, but when they put in the. What is the the Kenner Spiel this Yaris, which was supposed to be the more heavy strategic thing, and it has not actually been ended up being the heavier. But and, I mean, and of course, the 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 Origins Awards are much mocked these days. But they actually do at least cover like minute and, and and partially the I, I mean the, they they have a lot of miniatures categories in that. But that's partially because I, I mean if you go to Origins, which I don't anymore since I don't live in Columbus anymore. But I mean, if you go to Oregon's, like there's a lot of historical miniatures gaming there. So there's a reason why there's a lot of, of different miniatures categories. But they're the ones with the generic board games where you look at stuff like literally for this year's Origins Awards, there are games that were released three years ago on, I don't, I don't understand what, yeah. how, how it is that, that that comes from. And I don't, you know, you can go listen to, to Tom Vassell on the Dice Tower 
if you want to hear somebody rant about the Origins Awards. <laughs> I think he's got that ground covered. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think that there are some categories missing, but that's also what they're about. I mean, we have, you know, sometimes they're called mono gamers or something like that. I mean, you know, when when somebody is playing board games, nobody's like, oh, I'm a Thunderstone player, and that's the only game that I play. You know, yeah. they play that, and they have this board game and that board game, and there's a lot of stuff. Whereas, you know, if somebody's a Magic player, like you could just consume your entire gaming life on that, or yeah. on Legend of the Five Rings, or on Warhammer, or War Machine, or just whatever. Well, I think that's... It's one of the few rarities, but... Or Go, if we were in right. some other... But, I mean... That, that's the thing where people don't think of themselves as gamers. That's not a market that you're... That's especially chess, because no, there's no money to be made in that. No. Uh, there's only so many, you know, Star Trek chess sets you can release. Civil War. Civil War chess sets. Well, there's money for players, and there's still money tournaments. Well, well no, yeah, I, I we, mean... We need an L5R chess set. No? No. Okay. Uh, take it on Kickstarter? Have you guys <laughs> kickstarted anything? Yes. Yes. Double Fine Adventure and the Shadow Run Returns one. Oh, those are both video games, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, that I really haven't even looked at. I I keep looking at them and then not I, I, jumping I'm, on. I'm personally refusing to go to Kickstarter because I know as soon as I do, You'll I will buy. be like twenty grand in debt from <laughs> Kickstarting for, things. For games that aren't gonna come, that that you won't get until next year. Exactly. Oh, you already missed Shadow Runner, anyways. <sighs> now Shadow you Run, Shadow Run. Yeah. Well, like, I, I didn't realize they already did the first one. I it, no, I don't think we've talked about it here, but I uh, I paid the, you know, bajillion dollars or whatever they were asking for the 20th anniversary, like the deluxe fancy version of the, the 20th anniversary edition of Vampire the Masquerade when oh, they, yeah. they released that. But the they're now doing supplements for that, basically, but the supplements are being released on our... Or Kickstarter, I guess, and then I guess if they if the Kickstarter succeeds, then the people on the Kickstarter will get you get the deluxe printed versions, and then they'll also go show up on Drive Through RPG, and people can do the downloads or, or print on demand versions. But yeah, I didn't even know that was there. But I'm sort of like it's like so this is going to end up as a hundred how many page supplement, and I have to pay I have to Kickstart it for sixty dollars. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a very interesting way of doing things. But I, I think it's most successful for indie stuff or backing people that you trust. I think it's only going to take a cut one or two bad Kickstarters for people to really start getting off the bandwagon. Well, there wa wasn't there one video game Kickstarter recently that was a scam, but it got exposed pretty quickly because it was pretty obvious. I, I there, yeah, there, there there was one. I don't remember what the details were, but yeah, there actually has recently been a Kickstarter that ended up. I know there Partially was one where because, he, and I know this is weird for somebody who you know we sit here on the show and sometimes we go out and get things and do reviews and whatnot. I there's only a certain amount of stuff that I want to do of going out and spending money to just buy a game and then hoping that it ends up being something like I actually do like to read other people's reviews. Do it. Whereas Kickstarter, I guess it doesn't completely eliminate that because there's a reasonable amount of okay, we get production copies out there to, in, in hands of certain reviewers, but still, it's not not really quite the same thing. And you see very few negative or even lukewarm 
reviews of Kickstarter stuff. It sometimes feels like people who are talking about Kickstarter feel that they have to be nice because they don't want to doom somebody's Kickstarter project. The Ace of Spies Kickstarter that's going on right now, that like, actually it's on its second Kickstarter because they canceled the first one, I think because they were not going to make their goal and now it's back up as a Kickstarter with a lower goal. But you know, if you go on the Geek, somebody actually produced a, well, I got demoed this game at UK Games Day or, or whatever the, the big con over there is, and I thought it was awful, and here's why. And then you actually get some of the criticism that, that went back against that guy. I mean, there were other people who said, oh, I played it and I liked it. But against him, it's like, oh, you know, what do you, this kind of review is going to kill a Kickstarter. How can you do that sort of thing when that's exactly the sort of thing, thing that you, you should need. want in a, re- yeah. in a review is if you play something and you, you don't like it, you should say why i mean you shouldn't just say i hated this and then not anything you should talk about what the game is you should talk about what's going on because what you liked may not be what somebody else liked in a review that just says i hated it is not really helpful either because it doesn't let someone else make a decision but you can't just never say anything negative about a game because you don't want to hurt the people who are right that gets into the problem of the video game reviewers now are being criticized because they all give like eight Eight is a low score, and even though it's blatantly not true, people are like, oh, yeah, you, you give everything an eight, nine, or ten, and so it's meaningless. Well, they... The reviews have always had problems with how do you make your scale actually stick. Right. Like, so now, you know, people feel like if it's under a seven, you don't play it. But people have said, you know, 5.5 might be a really good game. It just has some serious flaws that if you can get around, then are, is okay. But people see 5.085 because they want some kind of quick summary and they just skip well, past I- it whatever the scale should be. I think if you're reading a video, uh, not even just a video game review, but most reviews on a scale of, not mine though, by the way. <laughs> if it's on a scale of 1 to 10, usually if something gets a 5.5, it, it's sort of like at school, right? Where a 55, that's an F. Right. right, yeah. So really, yeah, if I was reading a video game review and I saw 5.5, that is basically the reviewer telling me, just stay day away. away from this well, game. You like, well, like... Well, this is really video games, so it, I don't. It's not really as applicable to yeah. board games. But back more on to the Kickstarter type thing. Whereas, oddly, like I felt good about kickstarting the the, the video game projects because I trust the people behind it. Even though I don't have anything, like they don't show you, they can't show you a play test. They can give you general ideas, but nothing. I don't know if I would ki- kickstart. A, um, it would take a lot for me to kickstart a board game. I would really want to see what people said about the board game. Well, I, and I think if I don't actually, know the designers, I think you actually do usually get that now with with games that get successfully kickstarted. They're games where they already have the game, they have pre-production copies. You can go on on Board Game Geek or something and actually find a review of the game. You know, now it's, it's they, not going to be a... They just need the money to print it and distribute yeah, it. Yeah, it's not going to be a final polish sort right. of thing, but like, I, I don't know. I thought about backing Empires of the Void when it was in being started, and that I think that's about to come out now to sort I mean, of another 4 xy thing instead of Eclipse, whatever it is that that gets another print run. Um... I mean, Lord knows I spend enough money on board games, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that I like, and I like just trying things a lot of times, but still, board games can vary in quality so much. I don't know, maybe that's just me, but... Uh, no, no, they can, and it's hard to tell. And I, I don't and... really want to sink, I mean, as much 
is I will waste some of my disposable income. I don't want to spend sixty dollars on something that I don't end up liking. <laughs> like, Even though I did like Warriors, it's it's easy enough for me to buy a game off of the shelf that I end up yes. not liking when I can even see it before I buy well, it. And uh, honestly, just knowing myself, I get caught up in buzz sometimes. Like I got caught up in the buzz for Warriors. I thought, okay, this is really cool. And then they had the promos. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm gonna go ahead and get this. And then we sat and we played a couple games with it. And, and I even liked it then. But then I got back from Gen Con, played another couple games. I'm like, wow, this is this is pretty bad. Well, it's, it, it doesn't take long for you to see the flaws in that game. Yeah. Do we have anything to say about D&D next other than the playtest PDF is out and gosh, we're, we like D&D as a concept and we hope this works out well, but we haven't really done anything with this <laughs> PDF they've handed us yet? I read through most of it. It's interesting, but I think it's really too early to say anything about it. I mean, part of it is it's a playtest so that they can change it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, none of, none of this is final, necessarily. They've even said that before going in. If you read, like, Mike Merle's stuff, who's the lead designer, you know, he says... Uh, the leader of uh, uh, R&D, he says, you know, all of this stuff can change. This is our general idea, but this is still really rough and early. Yeah. I don't know how exactly to take when they say like, I mean, because this thing is coming out before the end of the year, right? Yep. I, I mean, yeah, Jay's is looking it? at me like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's I, gonna, I believe, they've got, they've got to come the, out. Fourth edition is dead. Oh, no. Yeah. I just, for some reason, thought it was Q1 they, next year, not oh, before oh. this. And, and they, they helped to kill it, but... I mean, I don't think they well, would as soon as they announced the next edition, they it was getting smacked around by Pathfinder anyway. As soon I mean, as they announced the next edition, it, it, it looks was okay done. as it is right now. I just I want to see more of it. Well, yeah, it, yeah it's just right. not enough. It's a very just, preliminary. Right, they're just giving you such a small sample. It's hard to make a real judgment on the whole thing. I will say that I like a lot of the conversation behind D and D next. Even if I haven't seen, like, they're asking really good questions. The things that I'm hearing from the designers, from the art des- directors, all these, you know, these open conversations that they're having, it seems like they're listening and they're really asking the right questions. Okay. Now, I personally am done with my content on this episode, but I know that you guys have been playing Diablo 3, so I'm just going to go and take a nap on the couch, and you guys wake me up when you're finished talking about Diablo 3, right? Is that okay? Uh, yeah. Do you? I'm, I'm just surprised that it'll be a segment where Chris won't be talking. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't think we could work contra- contractually do that. Uh, um, so I've been playing a lot of Diablo 3. I recently got to 60 a couple days ago, and that's, I guess, a couple of weeks after the game came out. Yeah. I didn't get to play it as much. I was actually going to take time off of work to show how single I am. Um, <laughs> I was actually going to play, take time off of work so I could play it, but a big project came through. It was the same thing that kept me from going to Fort Mill. Mm. Ended up being okay because the first couple of days they had such bad problems with the servers. Right. And uh, you missed that because yeah, I missed that. I I uh, ordered the collector's edition from Amazon, and for whatever reason, they decided to wait a week before shipping it to me. Yeah. So I missed out on all of the error thirty-seven. Not well, all of it. No, no, not all. But I I do still have. I I really don't like getting lag in my single-player game. I'm sorry, but I don't. I, I can understand that. I mean, I under, I kind of understand Blizzard's point of they see it as a multiplayer game really and I do I, understand that the idea is they don't want people to play start it off single player and then want to play with their friends and find out that they have to completely restart their characters and online characters. Okay, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. 
I mean, I'm not okay, but I understand the always-on DRM, but they could have just as easily done both of those things in such a way that I'm not dying to Diablo because of lag. Yeah. In my experience, since they've had since they had those really big things, it's very sporadic. Whenever I get lag spikes, I mean, it's not enough. I don't think it's ever. I've been lucky, and it's never really actually killed me. I know it could, but I mean, oh, I, the same thing happened in WoW. I, I died sure. lag every once in a while. Well, it, again, I I think if it had not been fighting Diablo, it would have been one thing. But because it was literally fighting Diablo, and he spoiler has, alert. Yeah, sorry. You fight the title character. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But he has this one ability where he puts a thing on the ground and you have to move out of it. And if you don't move out of it, he pretty much kills you to hit lag right there every time you try to fight it such that you're like, oh, I'll get out of this. Wait, why did I not get out of it? Why am I dying now? Because That's you didn't stack fun. enough vitality. Even you need stacking- life. You need life. You need vitality. You have to stack vitality. This is the thing people don't understand about Diablo. Okay, even stacking vitality. And yes, I, I could survive one of those. No, but you but can't. when you get, when you three, get three of, of them, them yeah. You're, yeah. You, you, you could barely eke out a survival on the second one, but when you hit a third one because of lag, it's no, uh, no, not No, lag is frustrating. Even, I mean, single player or multiplayer, it's right. frustrating. Yes, it, but it's understandable in multiplayer. It's just... Just plain frustrating in single. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I've run into is just blips every once in a while where my guy warps back a couple yes. seconds. Uh, that's oh, and I will occasionally just get kicked out. Uh, it doesn't happen that often, not often enough for me to really be frustrated with it or whatever. But I've had it to other friends as well, where you just yeah, like you're playing and all of a sudden, boop, just kicks you out, boots you out, or whatever. And you just hit resume game and it takes it right back in. It, it's really weird. That, like they've still got a lot of server. Um, yeah, stuff that they're I, I really don't out. know why anybody would want to play hardcore right now. That just seems yeah. like you're asking for pain. Because hardcore players are hardcore players. They're going to play hardcore no matter what you do. I guess that's true. I, and I found out another thing, like the Monday after that weekend, where the week where it released. Yeah, apparently it sold 3.5 million copies wow. in a week. And that's not counting the um, like something like one and a half million that they had that special wow deal where you can right, subscribe the, for a year yeah it's not even counting that they're just counting sales so wow. they had like five million people hit their servers they had no idea that game was going to be that big they kind of guessed it was going to be big well, but I mean, blizzard does that every time well they, they yeah never... they, i mean but you also have to i mean honestly from a business perspective you have to look at it it's cost versus you know sure no i mean from a business perspective, I can understand why they wouldn't overcompensate for prep. But at the same time, I feel like it would have been nice for them to have the capability to spin up a couple servers for login weekend that they would then spin down to. Because I mean, that first week, you you, you know, know you're, you're gonna, gonna be, you know I don't you're think gonna even be they knew how big that was gonna be. Sure. Uh, and sure. that's and Mike Morheim even, or I think it was Mike Morheim, was one of the one of the big people for Blizzard. Even went up and said. We didn't prepare enough. We're right. sorry. Please stick with us. You know. Sure. No. I, I mean, I can understand that they got inundated. They got more than expected. That's. I, I understand that. It's still it, frustrating. Yeah. No. <laughs> for it, my it single is. player game. It is. But um, yeah. Well, if you're playing single player, you should play it with other people anyways. Yeah. You get better loot. 
the mushrooms are a little bit harder, but the, um, they're really not once you get multiple people, and the loot is stupidly better once you get more well, people. Well, I mean, to my understanding, up until Inferno, the scaling for multiplayers is just adding hit points. No, it's else. adding levels. Is it? it okay. It's it's adding levels, um, which makes them actually tougher, and well, or at least if it works like it did in Diablo 2, which I'm pretty sure that it does. It adds levels, which does add hit points, but also adds resistances. Okay, um, never and, mind then. And it also increases their loot table because they are higher level. Right. That that's how it adjusts it, and it it will adjust it on the fly. Because if someone drops out in the middle of your game, the boss pack you're fighting actually will get weaker immediately. So it's not something where you even have to wait or whatever. It it just dynamically pops it up or down. So the it, it's I've gotten up to Inferno. Um, I've really enjoyed the game. I really. I know everybody says, oh, what story? The story is dumb. I really like the story. I mean, it's... Yeah, I like the story. It's kind of... It's not, like, the best writing ever. It's not Game of Thrones intrigue. No, but what is? And, I mean, I I, I do enjoy, because every so often playing... Uh, you'll you'll come across the little storybooks that you haven't seen before, and the yep. little bits, and those are oh, all well done. The logs, the way that you pick it up, and it just plays the log, and you yeah. can click out of it if you want, or it just plays in the background. It is beautiful. I wish all games did that. Because oh yeah, it's stopping great. to read books in anything other than maybe Skyrim <laughs> is just. <laughs> but that's terrible. just because those are awesome. But, but that's just because you know you're what you're getting into with Skyrim. You, right. you know that's what's coming up. But with Diablo, it's really, you know, you don't stop, you can't stop the action in Diablo. If you stop the action in Diablo for anything other than loot-based stuff, I'm tossing this out of my inventory, I'm looking at the stuff, or I'm breaking it down. The game is basically over, because those are your two modes. Or, I guess, three modes. is uh, talking to people, which should be going fairly quickly, yes. and does. Um, loot stuff, or killing stuff. And exploring the kill stuff. Also, I, I do like, I don't know if you've noticed, if you hang out in town too long... The, the whichever companion you have with you will start complaining. Oh yeah, no, they will. Um, <laughs> that you, amuses me. Have you you've gotten all the companions now, right? Yeah, you got yeah. all three. Oh, I've, I'm I'm in the second difficulty. How, how long have you stood around the other two companions when you already have one of the companion? Oh, I have heard them bicker. Yes. Yes. So, uh, I don't think there's really any spoilers, but like the Templar is actually in love with yeah the Enchantress. The Enchantress and the Rogue just kind of. They're okay, but the rogue's like, you, you are really hoity-toity, too hoity-toity for me. And the rogue really does not like the Templar, because he's just too... Sure, sure. I, I, I did like I was running with the Templar when we first met the Enchantress, and he starts talking to me, and this, the Enchantress is like, why are you two whispering to each other? Yeah. I, I like the... Um, so you, you can get a follower, and they follow you around if you're playing the single-player game. As soon as you get two players, they drop out. It's really just a way to help because it's meant to be played multiplayer. It's how they designed it, so they just kind of help a little bit. I, I like them. They're really nice companions. They do repeat speech a lot. Yes. So the yes, Templar gets really kind of annoying. Yes. So once I got the Scoundrel, who's the second follower, I, I, well, I was like, okay, let me switch to him. He is great to have in the party, because even his repeat stuff is pretty good. He's that monster over there. Looks like it has excellent loot, and it's like a champion <laughs> pack. Yeah, He's, yeah. He's all about, just, he is that character. He's all for the loot, whatever. When you meet the Enchantress, he's hitting on her left and right. When Leia's following you around for whatever story thing, he's hitting on her left and right. He's just a great character. He just is that classic rogue character. So is the the Templar, but he's so cut and dry that there's really no humor there. 
so when he's it's just him in your party it's not like the right, dragon well, age he's, he's a great straight man but you can't just have a straight man you know because your character's not funny because it, it really can't be funny if you could run around with a Templar and the Scoundrel or whatever, then... That would be great, yes. It would be more like Dragon Age, which is what, kind of what you want. You have to stand in town to hear them talk, which is kind of a shame, but... Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but every time you finish something, like some kind of relevant story point, when you walk through town, it's kind of like Skyrim in that they'll talk about something that you've done. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and you don't talk to them, they just start talking in the background. Right, and then there's new conversation options with some of your guys, and the jeweler is hilarious. Oh, Yes, Covetous Shen is my favorite part of the entire game. Oh, definitely, yes. And apparently that is the guy who played the grandfather in Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've gotten this achievement yet, but if you just let him sit in the barrel and go through all of his dialogue options, there's an achievement for it. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that right after I let him out right at the beginning, so I'm going to do that next time I come across him. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because once you beat normal, normal you get through about level level thirty ish, and then you got nightmare, and then you've got hell, and then you've got inferno, and that's very similar to what they've done in the past for Diablo games. You beat the game, you restart it on a harder level, so you restart the whole game, but you keep all your stuff, you keep all your levels, all that type of good stuff, and they do it again with this one. It's very interesting though because it's very heavily quest driven. Yes. Like, you are always on a quest. And that's one of the big... Th- that's one of the things people have complained about. Right. It There's just no makes way it they hard just... to grind out gear and right. stuff. It's really not that hard. You just get back out and say, I want to do this again. And you get really good gold and experience for doing the quests. So there's really re- no reason not to go and do those quests. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the only qualm I have with that is because there's no auction house in the game, you have to leave the game. Yeah. You lose your progress in you, the quest You do you, if you want to go auction house. It makes it to where you basically have to do it in segments. You have right. to... But sometimes, once you're past the game, it's not a problem, but sometimes you'll be in the game and you'll think you'll have made enough progress for it to save, and then you, like, go to the auction house and you come back and you find out, oh, no. You jumped back, yeah. You jumped or, back. Or worse, I had the situation where I started up... I got to the end of Act 3. I didn't want yet to go to Act 4... So I went out, I joined a friend's game, played with my friend for a while, went to go back, and was like, wait, why can't I go to... Oh, I have to beat the Act 3 boss again, because I didn't progress into Act 4. Yeah, that's really the weird thing, because I want to say that it did do that in Diablo 2, when you joined your friend and he was on, like, a further along part of the quest, it would reset all of your quests. It would just mark it all as done. Well, no, it's the same as resetting into new quest. You lose all your checkpoints and you go back to the start of the quest. Right, right, right. Right, but uh, so it was just annoying because that was unclear to me at the time that I would lose my checkpoints, points, right. progress, well, and like, go back to quest start. Even I, I had a friend who was uh, like, like right towards the end of Act One, like in number eight of the mm. quests or whatever, and I was in number three because like a level four character, and I, I just didn't have a good enough character that was like close enough level, so I was just messing around. And it doesn't care as long as you're normal. I could go with my level four character into Act Four. It just it doesn't care. It'll let you do it as long as the you'll the, face plant quickly. But yes. yes, and you'll and you'll unlock that chapter. But so what I did is when I started back up, I just hit resume game, and it was in chapter eight, and I quit because I was just messing around, and I forgot that, and I got one shotted or like two shotted. I was like, oh, I need to go back out, and it go. It was like one, two, three, eight. So it doesn't unlock all those chapters. You, you just get just that one other chapter. Through. Yeah, nice. It, it's kind of interesting the way that they did that. I, I guess it makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, it it makes sense. It is an interesting design. Um, in in Inferno, I mean, th- there are some weird designs like elective mode. Yeah. How long did it take you to find out about elective mode? I knew about it before the game came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I've been all I'm all up in Blizzard stuff about most of the games they release, anyways. Um, I I have. I talk to people who have been in beta and read as much as I could about it. Right. But no, elective mode is really weird. It, it's, it's really weird to me that it sort of it seems to be just be word of mouth that people find out about it. I, I think there's one tooltip. There's, well, there's one tooltip in the loading one, screens. Yeah, there's one tooltip if you see the tooltips. Yes. Yeah. No. If you see them, if you're not loading super fast. Right. Um, if you're bothering to read them. Right. I talked to somebody who was... I was partying with somebody who was, like, level 53. And he had... He was a mage, and he had the, the ice armor. And one of our friends asked... He was like, Do you ever think about doing slow time? Because we had a whole bunch of projectiles come in. He was like, oh, I can't do both of them. I was like, why can't you? I was thinking maybe he was... I thought maybe he was saying that, you know, well, I really can't afford to do that with my setup. Right. But no, he was he level 53, know. and he had no idea about elective mode. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know what elective mode is, if you happen to be playing this and still listening, you go if you go into options, then into gameplay, there's well, a tick called let, game elective let's mode. Let's go back a step. So usually when you're playing the game, you have six skills that you can choose from. And if you don't have elective mode selected, each skill has a different category of options you can pick, like four or five different things for each button. With elective mode, you're no longer limited for each skill to one category. So you can have one, be one, two, and three be different skills out of the same category. Right. So yeah, left mouse and right, left mouse button, right mouse button, then one through four numerically. Right. And normally it's like primary attack, secondary attack, and then they just randomly name, kind of group together abilities. And once you realize that you have elective mode and you can actually combine abilities out of the same group, I mean, there's a lot of builds. It's very obvious you really want to do that. Right. Um, I so mean, it's really the, weird. Especially when you get to the harder difficulties yes. and you really want to pull out a couple of your defensive powers. Specifically the monk. The monk is built to be kind of like a fighting game class. Mm. So all this stuff combos. I don't know if you've built, played a monk or... Not, okay. not high enough. So no. you do one... So basically... Most of their combos have three steps. His primary stuff um, has his primary attacks have three steps. It's like one step, two step, three step, and it's three clicks that you go through. And it's different steps in the combo, and they each kind of do a different thing. So if you have different combos set up on your buttons, the combos transfer which step they're on. So you can do hit one, hit two, and then hit three of a completely different combo. And that might be relevant because, like, this one, like, his first one might reduce your attack. His second one might reduce your defense, like, the enemy's defense. And the third one might do AoE damage to everybody. So you might not care about the third one because it might not be that great, but the third one and another one might hit, like, everybody for way more damage. So there's a lot of really good combo potentials there. They just don't tell you about it at all. You'd think maybe, like, towards level 20 or something, they'd pop something up and say, hey, here's elective right. mode. Well, I mean, they have that annoying pop-up right over my bag where it's like, your bag is kind of full. Oh. you oh. think they could do that was like, hey, you've gotten to act to second difficulty. Have you thought about an elective? That, 
Oh, here's the dumb thing to me. Every time I join a multiplayer game, it pops up the mul- tooltip for multiplayer uh, loot. <laughs> yeah, every all the loot you see is your own. I know I'm level sixty. Pleat God, I had to yeah. go and turn the tooltips off. I was I always I always like to leave tooltips on just in case I miss some oh, information. Right. Speaking of turning things off, um, so I don't have to edit any more of this. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. Excellent segue. Well done. <laughs> Game is fantastic, but stupid. Fifty points to Christendor. <laughs> that has been Diablo Three Land, brought to you by Strange Assemblies. Yes. For Mike Cook and Gerald, I'm Chris Stevenson, and we are Finito. Squeak. You've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can download more episodes of Strange Assembly on iTunes or from our website at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're at our website, you can check out the frequently updated main page or talk with us on the forums. You can also email me directly at chris at strangeassembly.com or you can follow Strange Assembly on Facebook or Twitter Strange assembly either place. Thanks for listening.